This is Death by DVD, and I am your host, Harry Scott Sullivan. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. On this episode, we are going to take a trip into the mind. With me, I've got Manny Serrano, director of Theta States, a 2017 psychological horror film that finally, June 2023, is getting a physical release, and we are going to be talking everything Theta on this episode. Manny? Thank you so much for joining me, finally, after all these years. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. I think from the very first incarnation of Death by DVD in 2009 to now, we've planned on doing an episode, and since then, you've released three feature-length films, countless short films. Your wife, Lindsay Serrano, has also released a, a feature-length film, Attack of the Brain People. You guys have worked nonstop in, in the, the 14 years that we have been talking about the same 10 movies over and Jesus, over. Jesus, 14 over. years. Oh my God. Yeah, we turned 14 this July. I can't, <laughs> who's fucking listening to the show? I don't know, but they're out there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little behind. <laughs> well, you've got a lot of, of work under your belt in those 14 years. And we're particularly interested in talking about Theta States because this is a pretty much an unseen movie. It got a very, very short, I don't even want to say physical run. I think like a, a Blu ray came out. Nothing. DVD. Yeah, one DVD, and then it was very briefly on Amazon. Since then, you've been able to find it and rent it on Vimeo, but the widespread audience is missing. It's not been available for anyone widespread. Now, finally, you have from Vipco, the famed video nasty label Vipco releasing, is putting out this movie on disc, Blu-ray, mm -hmm. beautiful. Uh, I know that there is, it's jam-packed with special features. But why did it take so long for people to finally get to see Theta States? His distributors suck. <laughs> well, I can't say that because our current distributor is actually, you know, they're pretty good. I mean, I, you know, I'm happy with them. So we premiered this January 2017 was the premiere. We shot this in 2015 through most of 2015. And then I spent all of 2016 editing. We premiered at Macabre Fair in January 2017, and then we did a bunch of festivals through the course of the year. Um, I think our last festival screening was October 2017 or so. You know, there might have been one or two off after that, but we then signed with, I'm going to just, I'm going to try to avoid saying the distributor's name, but it's not hard to find who they are because we have them on our website, so if anybody wants to you know, I'm just going to not. I can always put in a sound effect anytime you say their name. You know? you can, yeah, you can do something, you know. Uh, but so we we actually were at a festival 
2017 and there was another film playing there that was kind of similar to ours it had that like cosmic horror kind of feel but like ultra low budget and i was talking to the producer of that and um he told me, oh, well, I got these guys as I said, I told him we were looking for a sales agent and distributor. And he says, oh, well, I got these guys and they're pretty good. Uh, I'm already getting checks from them, which is great. And we're still doing festivals and we're already seeing money. I said, OK, well, that's that's cool. So he got me, gave me their name, got in contact with them. And that was around. Uh, yeah, that was that was August. or I think that was August or so of 2017. Then. I contacted them, got to them, blah, blah, blah. They were interested in the film. I think we ended up signing with them uh, after, you know, very, very, very short negotiations. There's a kind of a couple of things. I, you know, I wanted a shorter term. I wanted this, you know, little things, nothing, nothing like earth shattering. Uh, then they gave me the deliverables, which every filmmaker knows deliverables is the biggest nightmare in the world, because as much as you think you have your film prepped, you don't. There's always something else that they want that you haven't thought of yet and then you have to put it together so i think i think we signed with them i think maybe it was about november or so of 2017 i think we finally signed we signed a five-year deal with them and then it stopped it disappeared they didn't they didn't do anything with it maybe a year and a half or so went by they hadn't released it they hadn't put it anywhere i think um so that was yeah November 2017 it was early 2019 it got put up to it got put up on midnight pulp and tubi and roku channel to no notice they didn't announce it they didn't even tell me that it was coming out then so i was like okay wait what i've been chasing them chasing them they had spent most of 2018 telling me that they were trying to get it on redbox and then at some point redbox decided that they didn't want it okay fine since redbox didn't want it they decided to stop pursuing a physical release because it's going to go straight to vod or streaming and I said, okay, well, we still want to do a physical release. Can you, if you're not going to do a physical release, then give me back the rights and I'll do my own Blu-ray or DVD release. I'll just do it myself or I'll find somebody else to do it in, you know, in the US. And they said, okay, fine. Yeah, that's not a problem. We're not going to do it anyway. So you can have it back. And a couple of weeks later, I get an email. Now, this is now, I said, this is now early 2019. It's about January, 2019. And they say, oh, well, um, we're sorry. Um, we sold the DVD rights to someone and they did a DVD release already. Okay, so where's the DVD release? And the DVD release was done in October 2018 and it was a short run. It was already out of print. And the company that they'd sold the, sold the DVD to had no intentions of making any more copies. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, so we have a DVD release that we were never told about that is now out of print. And from the best of my understanding, they did like 100 copies. So what, you have one, 99 are still out there somewhere and you have one of them. Well, they well, we had, as part of our contract, that we would get a 
a case of DVDs. So this way I wanted, I wanted to get at least a case so this way I can give it to the cast and crew and everything. I said, well, can we get a, can we get, can, you know, well, can we get the case of DVDs then? And they contacted them and they said, well, they stopped. That's when they said they stopped printing them and they don't plan on making more. Uh, so they're just going to send you the leftovers. And I got seven copies. Did you ever get a notification of where they went? Did I mean like a Walmart? I Oklahoma? do. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was in it was in Family Video. Uh, I forget the company that itself they sold it to, but basically it went out through FamilyVideo.com. You can, I think you can actually go to Family Video right now, and it's still listed. I think the DVD is still listed there, and it says just as out of stock. You know, it sold out in we in a couple of weeks, and that was it. As like I said, it was a hundred copies and. That was it. So, and I got seven of them. So, ninety-three copies were out in the world somewhere. The other seven went to me. I mean, I gave a copy to my mother. <laughs> and <laughs> you know? I, I've seen one of the few physical copies in person you showed me, and I remember being yeah. very shocked that you've told me the story, and, and it's just such a good story to tell people, especially uh, independent filmmakers out there that could be listening of things to really avoid and how. Uh, just nasty this business can be, but the triumphant part of the story now is you've got Vipco and the movie's mm-hmm. going to be seen. And not only is it going to be seen, but it's a Blu-ray release, which is just sweet. It's And yeah. I got to say, I don't want to talk too poorly about the other distributor, but the original cover of this movie was so dreadful. Awful, awful yeah. art that they randomly picked. Had nothing to do with the movie. At least this time we've got the star, Tom Ryan, on the cover looking good. Mr. Handsome, as, as I like to call him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, we, we ended up arguing with them for a while. So like you said, this is something that indie filmmakers need to be aware of. Uh, they, they were big. The reason why we went with them really because they were doing the cosmic cosmic horror thing. And some point around 2018, they decided to start producing their own films as well. And they started producing Westerns. <laughs> so they kind of rebranded themselves as more action Western. That sucks. That's that's as farthest as you could be exactly. from what Theta States is. Exactly. So it kind of like it didn't fit their brand anymore. I'm assuming. I don't know this for sure. This is just the impression that I got. I never got an answer as, as, exactly as to why. It was other than like, yeah, no, we just can't seem to find an outlet for it. So um, in 2020, uh, I finally got all the rights back. And I found, well, most of the, yeah. 2020, I got, let me see, we signed, I said we signed in 2017, we had a five-year deal, so 2021, so I finally got all the rights back. 2020, I had finally gotten the, they gave me the DVD and the Blu-ray rights back because the family family video or whomever it was wasn't doing any more copies, so they talked to them and said, all right, well, we'll get those rights back. Let me get the rights back in there, Uh, but since it was already on, they put it on the streaming services in 2019, they had like a two or three-year deal with those. So, or something like that. I don't remember. Um, I don't know exactly what it was. Uh, so I had to wait for those to expire before I could get the streaming rights back. And I still don't have the rights to Korea. They sold the rights to Korea till like 2027 or 2028. And I guarantee you that come 2027, I'm going to have to contact them again. Oh, yeah. Give them... Uh, a, a notice that they are not to renew that. What you a know. strange area, though. I mean, it, it's the they the Koreans do have a very big horror audience, but it's it's such an odd market to lock in for years and years and years. Like I could understand something like China. No, it's actually it's actually pretty common. Most um most international sales deals will be a good ten years. 
you know, so if they were to sell it to Germany or you know, they have a big Mexico, any international deal, you generally sell it for 10 years. That's that's fairly standard. Uh, the problem is the fact that they're selling it to another company in that. So they end up having no control over it as well. They sell it to another distributor who's based in Korea, and then they manage the sales from there. And then this company will just get a report and a pay and whatever whatever money they're owed. Uh, I've I've had friends who've been there before and they've sold it to Korea and China and Mexico and then their film just disappears in those territories for the next 10 years or so. They never see a check. They never see anything. I know people who've taken their distributors to court over the fact that the distributor is not chasing the international sales agent to get the money. You know, I've had I know people who've done that and and the distributors just like, you know what, sue us because. Because it's like the move, the money's not making enough money for them to be bothered to chase that sales agent to get their report. They don't warrant it as as income, but regardless to the artist, to the filmmaker, it's I don't care if it's four dollars. I want my four dollars. I earned it. It's my four dollars. You know, and you know what? I, I don't even think it's so much about the money so much. It's about the fact that you sold the movie to someone and you're not even like. You're you're not even being a proper custodian of those rights. You're just letting them do whatever the hell they want. They could be making a million dollars off of it, and you're not checking on them. You don't know. And this is a lot into the the worry of physical media disappearing, and this is how quickly it can disappear because the rights Mm -hmm. can be just bought and lost, and the filmmaker might not even have an idea of where the rights have gone or what country they're retained in anymore. Mm -hmm. That's why, uh, what was it? Is it? Who's it? Um, Mike Flanagan. I think it's Mike Flanagan. He has a movie that was, is it Mike Flanagan? He has a movie that was only available in Canada. I think it's Mike Flanagan. I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. He made another movie. I think he. I think it was. It was around the time of Absentia. Something. I think. It, I. Pretty sure it was Mike Flanagan. But he's got another feature, and it's just it has not been available in the U.S. Essentially since, um, since it came out. And it's because they sold the rights to this, that, or another, and it's available only in Canada. And the company that has the rights to it in Canada, who sold the rights to Canada, something they they don't plan to do another one, another release here, which is ridiculous. Because again, even if it's an, I know it, I, I'm pretty sure it's Mike Flanagan, but if it's not, it's another horror director that got as popular as him. Where it's like, if you're not going to release it here, you're an idiot. Why would you not piggyback? Uh, but it's also possible where he told them, I don't want you doing it anymore. You screwed it up once. I don't want you touching it. I'd rather the movie disappear for now until I can get all the rights back. Um, so they had a Canadian release, I believe. Um, it's, it's killing me that it's, that it's blanking me, blanking on me what it is. Um, but I think like last year he finally got the rights back and he's like, okay, we're going to get it. We're going to get another release. We're finally going to put it out there. Um, but that's pretty much where, where, what happened here. So we, then in uh, we finally got those rights back. And in 2020, I knew that we were going to be getting the rights back because they'd agreed we were just waiting for the streaming to expire. So we started recording. I said, well, if we're going to do a new if we're going to do a brand new release, I want to make sure we push for a DVD, even if I have to do a DVD or a Blu-ray myself, if I have to run do the run myself and sell it on Etsy or something. So be it. So I started recording some uh, um, behind the scenes. I did. We did interviews with Tom Ryan and Tom Cole and Dina Demko and uh, Lindsay 
And the five of us got together. JK did this and we went to his house and we recorded some interviews, recorded some commentaries. And then the pandemic happened and we couldn't finish the commentary <laughs> and we couldn't finish getting everybody else. Like we recorded that in, uh, I wanted, we started recording, I say, uh, uh, planning it from like February of 2020. And then the lockdowns started. And I think we ended up finally recording in like June or July of 2020. Like we did like three or four of us at Jay's house at a time. And then, of course, you had in the midst of that in 2019 and moving into the last two years, Dark Tales from Channel X, its release, doing all the work and programming for that Blu-ray, which uh, was available to streaming on Tubi for free, Dark Tales from Channel X. You got to watch a movie mm-hmm. that I'm in. Come on, everybody yeah. out there in Radio Land. Yeah. I'll plug it till the day I fucking die. I will talk about Good, that man. movie. I'll plug, plug it up plug everywhere. It. <laughs> Yeah. So we did we we finished we finished shooting Dark Tales. Uh we shot with you. It was at is it December or November of twenty nineteen? Uh, it was it was right before my our after my birthday, this, uh November. November nineteen. Um yeah. Okay. Uh and then we did the pickups of the the viewer in the TV screen. We filmed that in January, 2020 in our, in, in our apartment with, uh, with Pat Devaney. Yeah. I was so played. bummed out because I was going to shoot those and get my first director's credit, but we ran tight on time. And yeah. I, I was so disappointed. Like, all right, we fine, just didn't fine. have the time for it. Next yeah. Time, we didn't time. have the time. It sucks. That happens. So, <laughs> but so we shot that then. And then again, then the pandemic happened and I'm like, well, Obviously, we're not doing festivals this year, so there was no rush to edit. And then I ended up spending most of 2020 doing post work for a lot of people. I did. I got more editing and sound gigs in 2020 than I ever had before because everybody suddenly couldn't shoot. So like, well, I have this film that's been sitting here. And we never finished it. So they just started post-production work, went through the roof. So that was really good. So that, But then that ended up taking longer to get that out. I think we did uh, festivals... So we start doing festivals in 2021, I think. I forget. We premiered at Macabre Fair in Tennessee. Uh, yeah, I believe, I, I believe so because it was going for a while and had a steady winning cycle, and it was very, very exciting to see feedback from people. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. If you're listening out there and you're wondering how you can help an independent artist, feedback on their work. Uh, letterboxed, IMDb reviews, things like that really make a difference to the film. IMDb is the biggest. Letterboxd is Letterboxd is cool. It's growing. It's growing and it's getting more popular. But foreign sales agents look at IMDb. And the more ratings, not even reviews so much, but the more ratings that are on IMDb, the better the film looks to foreign sales agents. Um, if you can get uh, so like, let's say a film is here's, here's, here's one of the secrets. One of the ways you really help. If your friend is making a movie, let's say they're, if their movie or their album or something is on iTunes, it's going to come on iTunes. The best thing they can do is create a pre-order. Also for podcasting. If you're listening to this five stars on iTunes yeah. really helps death by <laughs> DVD, by the way, yeah. folks. Well, uh, I don't know how the algorithm works so much for podcasts. I'm sure it's very similar, but let's say, let's say you have a, uh, let's say you're going to do yourself a comedy album and you want to put it out on you and you want to put it out on iTunes and you want to sell it. What you should do is create a pre a pre-order date that this is the date it's going to come out and then have people pre-order it. All right. And this works for books as well. This is, this is how like New York, somebody gets on the New York times bestsellers list. 
Okay, this this is a this is literally what the what the what the industry does. They create a pre-order a pre-order date. There is a set number that will allow you to be considered a bestseller. I don't know what that number is, but let's talk iTunes. You do your pre-sale, you do your pre, you do your release date, and let's say it's three months from now. What you can do then is if you feel like you have if you've only got a handful of pre-sales. Push your push your release date back and push it back and keep pushing it back until you hit that whatever that number is. And I'm sure a sales agent or someone will be able to tell you what that number is. But here's here's the kicker. Your sales do not count until the day it is released. All of those pre-sales are then grouped into day release. There it is. Wow. So if you spend two years doing pre-sales for your film. And you sell 2,000 pre-sold copies. Day of release, you have sold 2,000 copies in a day. Wow, that's fantastic. That is how yeah. you get to the top of the chart. That's how you become the best seller. Because none of your sales matter until the day of release. Now, there's there's some intense knowledge being dropped on this episode. Yeah. So if you want to do so, if you want to get to the iTunes top 10 sellers list do yourself a pre-sale and just push it back until you feel like you got a couple hundred a couple thousand sales or something then when it finally releases that's how you do that um that is why pre-sales are actually very important you know when someone does when when we put out a movie it's it's the same thing on amazon the pre it does not matter pre-sales don't matter until the day of so when we put out a dvd or a blu-ray or something on amazon push 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 get people to buy it in in advance and then all of those sales will matter day one. And then there will be bestseller in horror for that day, you know, and hopefully it stays for that week. Um, but when it comes to foreign pre-sales, they want IMDb. So the more, the more, um, I think it's something like there are a lot of countries that will not, a lot of not countries, but distributors that work in certain areas that will not take a film unless it has at least a hundred reviews on imdb wow that's a lot though that's asking for yes a lot. it actually is a lot it actually is really hard to get that many you know especially when you're an indie film that hasn't gone anywhere so if you know someone who's making a film go re- go review it on imdb because they can't get many of their foreign preset foreign sales can't sell to a foreign country unless they have at least 100 reviews on imdb i don't think even we have it our channel x has been out now for uh you know over a year um well, actually, about a year. It's been out for about a year. Dark Tales has had, at this point, fucking five, six years worth of reviews and, and you know, kind of screenings in here and there. I think they're both at like 30 or 40 reviews each on IMDb. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, so Letterboxd is getting up there, but IMDb is still the standard as far as most distributors and foreign sales agents are concerned. So we've kind of, we've we've gotten from I don't know how we got on all this. <laughs> well, it's a good segue then because we're talking about the market and we've gotten to a point we we opened this show with no one could see this movie and now we have kind of educated and allowed the audience to understand the hell and the purgatory and all these different levels. Uh, Theta States has gone through the Dante's Inferno ring 
to finally get to where it's mm-hmm. at. So now, how? Where did you get to Vipco? That they, I mean, because that's such a legendary label. They have reestablished themselves. Vipco was a company mm-hmm. for our audience to know that pretty much fought the video nasties, fought the BBFC, and would belligerently against their wishes. And I say belligerently in the best loving way would release these banned movies and say, "Fuck you, we're gonna put it out anyhow," mm-hmm. and would fight in court. Uh, regardless of outcome for the the battle against censorship, they're they're almost a heroic white knight mm-hmm. that's often forgotten in discussions about the the video nasties, and that's how you can see Theta States. Vipco's bringing it to the world now. Yep. Um, well, that is actually thanks to Dark Tales. Hi, Cassie. Hi, Mr. Barrow. Thank you for coming on such short notice, Cassie. It really shouldn't be too difficult of a night for you. Easy peasy. There's a 20 on the fridge if you want to order yourself something to eat. Don't worry, I've got it, Mrs. Vera. Yes. The crew asked me how I know my way around the halls of hell. I told him I did not need a map for the darkness I know so well. Hey, I don't know who you are, but I want my phone back. Stacy, can you come over, please? I have a plan of what I'm gonna do to Mike. I need your help. Blood shell, the impudent. Please, anyone, please help, help! I saw you with the baby just a minute ago. I hope you're still hungry, Teddy. Grandmother used to tell me about the nesting game. What if we don't want to play? Then a demon comes for you next. What the hell is going on here? Uh, we 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 got a we got a sale we 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 finally went for sales agent. There's a difference between a sales agent and a distributor. Sales agent just sells your film. A distributor, uh, a sales agent just shops it around to distributors. You know, which I recommend most indie people, most indie filmmakers find a sales agent because one of the most intimidating things to do is to talk to a distributor because it's your film. You know, and you as an indie filmmaker are always worried that no one's going to want your movie. You know, that like, Oh, maybe this is going to be the, I got this, I got this deal in front of me. What if this is the last deal I ever get? And I turn it down. The sales agent's job is to advocate for you and to find you a deal. They do not get paid until you do. So it is in their best interest to get you a deal. And the sales agent's, have the relationships with the distributors and then they will be that middleman. So sometimes when you're in a negotiation, it's like a job interview. You go to a job interview and you're sitting there with this manager and you really want this person to hire you. So you start just saying whatever it is you want them, you think they want to hear 
in order to get you the job because I might not get this job. And then two weeks later, you're like, what the fuck did I agree to in this interview that I'm doing this shitty job now? <laughs> you know, you realize that you just kind of sold yourself because you're just so nervous that you're not that you're not going to get what you want out of it. Uh, so the sales agent's job is to get what you want and their job is to play the hardball for you. I did not speak to a single distributor directly until Bayview, which is who we're with right now. Uh, we had one deal that was actually, we would have, we, we would have gone through one company and I'm not going to drop the name, but there was one company that would have ended up distributing us through a very large, uh, well-known genre distributor. Oh yeah. I remember that one. I, yes. I, I actually, when this happened, was a little mad at you that you yeah. passed on this one because it's such a big company, but there, there was method to your madness in the situation. Yeah. We would have had absolutely no control over what they did with the film. No control over anything. They probably would have edited it. They would have changed the name and it would have been the company so big that this film wouldn't have meant anything to them. It would have ended up in a bargain bin in six months. I guarantee it. If if even six months, it might have been made just for the, the bargain bin sales that they're producing. Precisely. Which, yeah. Precisely. Once that hit me, I realized it. But at the same time, just for just to tease it to the fucking audience, it's a really big name. Mm-hmm. A really big name. Um, but we wouldn't have even been signed with them directly. We would have been signed with a company that would have sold the DVD rights to them. So there would have been in the middle, it would have it would have been our sales agent, then them, then the big company. You know, there would have been three levels before we saw anything. So again, and it's and, and when you're making these movies, sorts of things, it's not about the money. It's it is kind of about exposure and kind of about just getting it out there. But I feel like we would have ended up in the same same situation where we would have had a company that didn't care about the film and they wouldn't have done anything with it, you know, Um and as a filmmaker, as an artist, you want you're more interested in somebody caring about the art you made and the film you're putting out there. I'd rather have a company give a shit and have the time to talk to me and tell me what we can do. And let's work on this together. So at least we have a beneficial, mutually beneficial relationship together. And that's that's what we found with with Bayview. So we had that one. That was the first deal was a big, big company. And I just felt like we would just be. We would have just been bargain bin film and they wouldn't have cared. They would have just, you know, because distributors, what they do is when they find when when they find a bigger thing, they they bundle films. They take a bunch of smaller films, 10, 15 films, and then uh, one, two or three of their larger ones. And they'll bring it to an aggregator like uh, Amazon or Netflix or something. And they'll pitch them. Here's 25 films that we have available. OK, and four or five of them get the chunk of that deal because those are the bigger films. And then the rest of us just kind of get whatever's left. And we had the 20 other films have to, you know, divvy up the you know 2% that's left for each of them. Um, so you end up, your movie ends up on Amazon and a big thing, or it ends up on Netflix, but it ends up buried in the algorithm and nobody sees it and it never goes anywhere. And on top of the fact that Netflix only pays an upfront fee, they pay a one-time fee until it's time to renew. So it, you know, even if your film does amazingly on Netflix, you're never going to see another cent until they decide to renew it. And then you have to negotiate for a better deal. But when you have that many layers in the middle, I have absolutely no say in that Netflix deal. 
So I'm not there to negotiate, and, when, and whether they can, whether they feel that it's worth actual negotiations or not is up to them. And what's great about this is now you can learn why your favorite movies disappear from Max, uh, Amazon, Netflix. Mm -hmm. This is why all of a sudden that film that's been on there for 14 years is suddenly gone because of rights negotiations, problems. I won't start the argument, but I always like to remind people owning physical media is the solution to that problem. And if we don't show companies that we want physical media, they're going to stop making it. Yeah. Then it'll be gone forever. Yep. Um, So... I'm I'm trying not to make this so long. You're gonna cut a lot of this. <laughs> You're gonna edit. Maybe to what's you know you you might not you you don't think this is good, but I this is <laughs> to me brilliant. You know we we got to have an independent artist Hunter Johnson on the show last year, and mm-hmm. he spoke a lot about similar troubles, struggles, and 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 problems just in the independent scene of the lack of support. And a big thing that we've we've talked about, even though it sounds kind of needy, like please go like and review. It really seriously, at this point, this is how you get these movies seen. When you spend all this time telling people how much you really love the new Top Gun movie and it's five stars and it's great and you go on every form of social media talking about Top Gun, you could do it for an independent film. And it's not a matter of trying to get somebody's attention, but it helps people see what this product is and it sucks having to call something a product but that's in every aspect it's what it is it's a piece of art but at the same time it's a product and you want people to view it more so than anything and you've also spoken about money not being the big thing sure everyone wants a million dollar deal but when you're out shooting on a thirty forty thousand dollar indie budget making that back isn't as much of a worry. Like, if you're doing some $250 million budget, most people want to make that money back. Everybody everybody wants back. Yeah, yes, that's, absolutely. that's a big difference. When you're doing $40,000, $30,000 budgets, yes, that is a great deal of money. That's, to, to any average person, a, a lot of money to, to mm-hmm. come up with and shoot with. But at that point, you're just fucking hoping somebody sees it. That's, that's the it. real big conditioning with independent films you just want an audience it might not be a big one but at least fucking 20 people <laughs> 20 yeah, people i, want, I cool. want the people who are going to enjoy it to get to see it that's it you know uh so okay so with channel x we went through a bunch of negotiation we went through i had the sale the sales agent went through negotiations and he sent this deal and he sent me that deal and he sent. i think we went through five or six different deals over the next over a month or so that he sent me and I was like, well, I don't like this and I'm not crazy about this. And he's like, okay, great. Then we'll find somebody who can do this. Oh, okay, great. We'll find somebody. My big sticking point was that I really wanted a physical release um, because I'm a collector of physical movies. I collect Blu-rays, DVDs. I, so to me, having, having my film sitting on a shelf somewhere is very important. You know, like that is, uh, that is a, what is the word that's that's a benchmark for me you know that's something like this means something to be able to have my movie sitting on a dvd or a blu-ray on someone's shelf is very important to me and and just to even think of collections you know some how people Mm -hmm. organize things what this movie could be sitting next to there's just so much fantasy and thought of someone that buys the film is they they genuinely have interest enough in your art and your commitment to art to own it. And I think it's just, yeah. it's to me when I, when I, not even just your films, like I, I know you have one also, but I have a wall of films that are all my filmmaker friends. And I love to take pictures of it and show people and suggest this, watch those. But at the same time, when I have movies from, from, from Brian Pollan to Martin Scorsese, they're, they're my trophies almost. If I have witnessed mm-hmm. this film, I loved it enough that I'm going to commit to owning it. It's something that, 
is cherished. And I think the idea of someone cherishing your art is something that every artist really strives for. And, and you kind of, I guess with movies have a miscommunication as so many people don't think of that as a form of art, but it's just the same as buying a, a print or a painting or a, a piece of handmade yeah. clothing. When you buy someone's work and you watch it and you cherish it, it's it sounds psychotic, but people can kind of feel that. They can see when you post photos, I got this movie. It's It's such a warm beautiful thing and that's the biggest importance of physical release that movies like like channel x is streaming and it to me just it's so hard to get people to take five minutes out of their time to look it up or even favorite it or put it on their list for streaming but when you can tell the people that you can buy it oh i'll get the blu-ray i'll get the dvd it just seems like an easier commitment and mm-hmm. a, i hate wording it as, as products like i said but you can sell the product a lot more if it exists if you can touch yeah. it and see it it just seems uh, to, and it i don't know it makes sense to us it doesn't to so many people but physically having it and watching it is is an amazing experience over it just disappearing yeah. into the waves of the interfuzz and and physical media is still the it's not the best it's not it's not the biggest it's the easiest money maker it still is the way to get the most money to a sale um you buy a 20 dollar dvd good chance that filmmaker's going to see anywhere from 5 to 10 dollars of that if if they have a distributor if they go through a distributor they can see anywhere from 5 to maybe 12 dollars per sale uh, and that's one. So one person bought a $20 DVD. This filmmaker could possibly get up to $12, $13 of it if they have a distributor. Uh, if they sell it themselves, hell, like um, Tom Ryan, he does a lot of his own. He, do, uh, he does his own. A lot of the time he does his own DVDs and sells. So if he sells a $20 DVD, 18 and maybe $17, $18 of that is going to him directly because it's all he has to do is recoup his uh, uh, reproduction costs. And that's directly going to him so he can fund the next film. When it comes to streaming, it may take, you know, 10,000 hours of someone, of people watching the film before I hit $12. You know, I'm getting, I think Amazon pays, Amazon pays something like 14, I would know they dropped it. It's like seven cents for every hour watched. Wow. And then, yeah. And then that has to be split between the distributor and then it comes to me and I have to then pay the sales agent, you know? So at seven cents, again, 10,000 hours, what is that? Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm going to fuck up the, is that 70 or $700 maybe? If 10,000, Not you know, anything, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's just what Amazon will pay out. Forget what they already made on the film by it, by somebody watching 10,000 hours of them. You know, so we're going to make that. And that's and and that seven cents is only if you are one of the top films on their database, which means that's like what fucking I don't know, the conjuring is making. Yeah. You know, they have a sliding scale based on how on Amazon, they have a sliding scale and it's based on how often people are searching for your film and adding it to their watch list. So the more often people are searching, the higher up in the cents per watched hour you will get. And it's up to seven or eight cents. 
chances are your indie per your your indie filmmaker average them they're getting like maybe one or two cents per hour tops and the the biggest cure for this problem is the physical releases buying when you see these artists having exactly. a physical release you gotta just exactly and most of the time you're you're it's kind of shocking I mean you're able to get right now you could go to somewhere like deep discount or Amazon even Walmart.com I think Barnes and Noble and you could get two copies of Dark Tales from Channel X for the same price of and I'm not saying this in a negative manner, but companies like Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, that are cha charging $50, $60 per one Blu-ray of a movie from 1978, you could get two Blu-ray copies of Dark Tales from Channel X. And the difference is, and I'm not trying to dismay these companies, I'm wearing a Vinegar Syndrome shirt as we're recording this, uh, it, it, they're a massive... Yeah, yeah, vinegar, vinegar poster right there. I love... I, yeah, you know? the, but they're an entity, and they're massive, and they have title rights with companies like MGM. They work with mm -hmm. so many different people. Yeah. Your $50 Blu-rays, this conglomerate sort of thing. And I'm not, again, don't, I'm not, don't not buy from them because they're still somehow, it's still an independent they're, company. They are a whole other part of the industry that is extremely important because they are in the uh, restoration and archive portion of the industry, which is incredible. They are keeping physical media alive. Okay. Because there is no streaming service that is getting you a full quality 4k stream period yeah period okay um shit i just saw some what what, what there's some movie that they're putting out that is like the highest bit rate 4k ever released and it's like some random some random old 70s horror movie because they just have the technology to put it on a disc, finally. It's like the $6 million man. They can build it stronger, faster, and harder, yes. and they do. But get back to this. So so we did... So I finally made the deal with Channel X, and that got out there, and we got made that deal with, with, with Bayview Entertainment, and um, I really liked talking. Uh, uh, Peter Peter Castro is the guy who runs that, and I really enjoyed talking to him. He was very personable, sat on the phone with me for a while. It was the same experience I had with Wild Eye years ago. When we from when we first signed a Blood Slaughter Massacre and why with for Wild Eye, um, uh, Rob Housechild he runs uh, Wild Eye Entertainment, and we had never signed with any, we'd never done anything, we never sold the film, we didn't know half of what the contract meant, you know. So he sat on the phone with us for like two hours and went down the contract line by line, explaining what everything meant. And we said, okay, well, can we adjust this and can we adjust that? And he gave us the time that we wanted, which is why I've I've I have a love for Wild Eye. You know, they don't always put out the best movies, but Rob is one of the most honest businessmen in this industry that I've come across in, you know, the 15 so or so years we've been doing this. You know, he's a straight shooter and I really dig him. I wish that Wild Eye had a bigger reach as far as selling their film, but the fact is he likes being a small company. He doesn't want it to grow to the point where he needs a 15 or 20 person team just to do this because he likes having control over it. He likes having a relationship with the filmmakers. He also likes being that label that has released, I've released your this guy's or, or girl's, whatever, this filmmaker's two or three first films, and eventually they go off to become a Mike Flanagan. He wants to be that stepping stone for them. You know, because he likes to have control over his company and that's it. I, that's all there is to it. So uh, uh, people, I, I've heard people complain though. Oh, they don't, they're not very big. That's by choice. 
That's how he likes it. Uh, so when we got to Bayview and 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 uh, sorry, my my uh, sales agent sales agent is the um, he got us to Bayview and I was very happy and it reminded me of talking to Wild Eye again. And I said, okay, I feel comfortable now. So uh, they took Channel X and uh, they they weren't huge on doing a Blu-ray themselves. You know, so they got us on Horror Pack where Horror Pack did the Blu-ray instead of themselves. Great. We got a Blu-ray. That was all I re- that was what I really, really pushed for. They said they had said, well, we'll do a Blu-ray if the DVD sales do well, which is what most will do, you know, which is what most distributors are going to do. But I said my opinion was, well, here's the problem. Even if the DVD does well, let's say it does do well. This is an indie film. Who's going to then double dip and buy the Blu-ray again, minus a couple of people who truly loved it? You know, this is an indie film. This isn't this isn't Alligator, you know, which is an indie film, but it's got a reputation. You know, this isn't Showgirls where people are going to buy, you know, three, four copies. Spookies, they're going to buy fucking City of the Living Dead. How many goddamn copies are people going to buy of City of the Living Dead? They'll buy every single one of them. I will give some credit to our Death by DVD audience because I do know a couple people out there that have bought two copies of it. And I do. I love you. Thank you so much. And that's amazing. And that's amazing. I thank every single one of them for that. But I'm trying to be realistic here and saying we're not at the point yet where we have a fan base of people that are going to double dip or triple dip every single copy of it. There are, again, beyond people who truly love it or really just want to support I felt like doing a DVD release, waiting for that to do well, and then doing a Blu-ray. Um, I feel like you're going to kind of waste your time doing the Blu-ray then because you, you you got most of your sales on the DVD. Uh, so they just circumvented that and went straight to someone who would do the Blu-ray directly. And they did it with Horror Pack. Beautiful. And the fact that it was in Horror Pack, it is being delivered directly to horror fans, people who want to see this sort of thing. Perfect. It's getting to the audience that's going to that's going to want it. And that was I loved that. And just for reference, we're talking about Dark Tales from Channel X, which is still available through Horror Pack. You can still find copies Mm -hmm. on Amazon, Walmart, Barnes and Noble. The blue. Well, the Blu-ray is only through Horror Pack. Exclusively. Yes, yes. Yes. The Blu-ray is exclusively through Horror Pack. You can buy that on their website. The DVD is everywhere else. Um. And I have copies of both, and I, I will say the Blu-ray is a bit of a treat. It's nice to see myself in such high definition. I look so It looks good. good. Yeah, I look yeah. really great. <laughs> Blu-ray definitely, definitely does look better. It absolutely does. Uh, so through, through the next couple of months, and this was uh, 2021, the next couple of months in 2021, talking to uh, guys at Bayview and explained what had happened. I said, well, we have, I'm dealing with this other thing. I asked, I asked him a few questions because we were still trying to get – we're still working on getting rights back from we had just gotten the rights back from and uh i didn't want to say their name but i did i'll, I'll, uh, I'll add a duck noise or a fart <laughs> over that yeah. uh we had just gotten the rights back from them for theta states and we still had the thing in korea and i happened to be talking to peter about it and i said oh you know giving him the fucking heartache story the shit that we went through for this and essentially it was like well we like channel x we like what you guys are doing send me theta states and we'll put it out too. we'll just, t- it was like, just like that. And I was like, okay, uh, being, being a hum, being, being kind of humbling myself for no reason whatsoever. I said, okay, I'll send you a screener and see if you still like it, you know? And he's like, okay, fine. You know? So he sent it to, I sent him the screener. He's like, great. We'll take it. I know he watched it. I saw the, I saw the view count go up. So he did watch it. <laughs> he actually did watch it. But a couple days later, he sent me the contract. He's like, here, let's, you know, let's do this. All right, cool. So um, 
At the same time, at the same time, Bayview was in the middle of releasing Skinamarink. <laughs> yes. And they had picked up Skinamarink a few months earlier, uh, randomly. It, I think I think they got it at maybe Sundance. I don't know. They had got no, they had gotten it like right around the time. Uh, they, however, they got it. I don't know. They got Skinamarink and it blew the fuck up. Yes, it did. You know, that movie yeah. blew up. We didn't do a, a two hour episode on that movie at all. You know? We are. <laughs> Oh, Skinamarink, God damn you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the bane of my up. fucking existence for like two months was that goddamn movie. Uh. <laughs> well, Bayview, Bayview, you have Bayview to thank for that. Um, so that movie just blew up and they didn't even expect it. It just happened. Yeah, it was know? it was freakish. I mean, even when I first yeah. saw the film, I was like, what the fuck is happening? It's because it's unique. Whether yes, people definitely. think it's good or not, I don't give a fuck. The fact is, you've never seen a movie like Skinamarink before. It does not. There's nothing. There is no narrative film like that. Well, it's the very big importance of the audience, too, is the fact that people either fucking loved it or they hated it and they fought about it vehemently, which drew the greatest amount of attention that pulled even the dirtiest, darkest critics like Alexander Nash and myself. I got Nash to do that episode. He hadn't been on an episode of Death by DVD for a year. He even was like, fuck it, we gotta talk about Skinamarink. We gotta do this motherfucker. And that's... The beauty of independent film, but what once in a million sort of situation that blew up with Skinamarink, when you look at something like Theta States, in the midst of Skinamarink being created and shot, this movie has been lost. It's just, it's, it's, I've seen it and I know maybe like seven other people and it's all related to the people that made the movie who have seen it and have been able to discuss it. So it's, it's, it's shocking at mm-hmm. some points. And I mean, I'm not trying to do a comparison here or there against Skinamarink or Theta States. And in a little while, we'll have to get into what the movie is about. We gotta, we gotta entice the audience because we've got this, this almost King Arthur style story of this movie being slayed. It's been defeated. You've not been able to see it. It's literally been thrown away by distributors. And now not only is it coming back, but it's coming back in the greatest format you can see it in. And loaded with special features, I mentioned that way earlier. But the story itself of Theta States is is so. Des- I mean, we've gone through so much hell to get here. We've got forty some odd minutes of no one wanting this movie, and now it's mm-hmm. finally available. Adam Albrandt told me a long time ago. Now a lot of people have said this, but he just happened to say it at a moment where I was really listening and I really heard it. Okay, because Adam Albrandt. Um, I, you know who Adam Albrecht is. Uh, yes. He did the Hunters. He's in that. Um, he's in. Uh, uh, he's actually in Zach Bagan's Demon House movie. <laughs> uh, he's in Trap by Anthony Curry. Yeah, he's in. Uh, the, he he made uh, the Burnt House. He had a couple of couple of films. I can't remember the names of them off the top of my head, but I I knew him. I know him. Haven't seen him in years, but um, a long time ago. He said to me, I'm going to say this is maybe 2014, 2015 or so. He said to me, the worst thing you can do is make a film that doesn't affect someone. He's very divisive filmmaker. People love his films or they hate them. And he's like, that's what I want. That's what you want. You want people to love it or hate it. If they walk out of your film and they just go, meh, that's. That's a kiss of death because then they're just going to forget about it. They don't feel one way or another. He's like, well, what's the point of that? And I don't know. I kind of feel like maybe I'm somewhere wallowing in that area where a lot of people just kind of like eh about it. 
Well, but that takes time to get better at it. But Skinnamarink was perfect, was a perfect example of that. People loved it or hated it, whether it pissed you off or made you fall in love with it. People were talking about it. And that is why it got so big. And that's why films like A24 films get so big because they're divisive. People love it or they hate it. And one way or another, it is creating a strong emotion within the viewer. And they feel a need to talk about the film and share their opinion. So people get all pissed about A24 movies. You know this. The Witch, The Witch, and 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 and, and Midsummer and all these movies and, and Lamb and these films where people are like, that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Why are people so crazy about it? Because you're still talking about it. You've caused the scene. You've yes. made the panic. Yes. And they they uh, uh count on that, making the film as divisive as possible so that both sides can't can't shut the fuck up about it. Like a Serbian film is a great example too. I mean, you exactly. either love it or hate it. And then you watch the movie and it's one of the most artfully shot, boring, non important things of all time, but yeah. it's so shocking, right? Well, yeah, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter because you're talking about it. That's what matters. Yeah. 10 years, 15 years later. I mean, God, that movie's gotta be 14, yeah. 15 years old at this point. And yeah. Something like that. Uh, uh, um, but Art, that's art. That's what art is. It either affects you negatively or it affects you positively. If it doesn't affect you, then what was the point? Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, there's always going to be somebody out there who's affected by it, and that's great, and that's what the artist needs. Even if it's 10 people who absolutely loved it, that artist has done their job. They've created something that somebody can love and feel something for, and wonderful. But as Typo Negative said, functionless art is merely tolerated vandalism. Okay. It's true. Your art needs, yes, it needs to do something. It needs to say something in one way or another. It doesn't have to be extremely profound, you know, but it has to mean something to you and to the people watching it in some way or another. It doesn't have to change the world. It only has to make one person happy and then it has a function. Okay. Um, The more people you can be divisive about, the bigger it's going to get, you know. So, Skinnamarink did that and it split audiences and it got people fighting and people are still fighting today. (laughs) They are. (laughs) Yes. They're still fighting today over a year later as to how good or bad this movie is. The outwaters did the same thing. We've gotten hate mail over it. And it's so shocking to me because (laughs) it's it's like, like, it's got nothing to do with you. Yeah. You know, what what do you think? I know the guy. What do you think? I fucking, Mm -hmm. uh, well, I can't believe you talked so bad. And that's the email feature on our website. That's all it gets used for. It's never anything good. It's just, I can't believe you guys hated Skinnamarink. And I always respond with, thank you for listening. That's it. That's it. That's it. You listened. You listened. You got, you got, you, you, it, it, your, your opinion of Skinnamarink affected someone enough where they had to email you and say, which, (laughs) which is not like, ha ha ha. I tricked you into listening. No, it's the fact that you are doing a show and you are speaking enough where people are being affected by what you're saying. You know? and, I mean, we have so little reach. Imagine a movie. I mean, that's that's the, the big thing of getting this physical release. And it might not sound like much to people, but being able to have that physicality, that box, even though it's a cheap piece of paper inside and a cheaply printed disc inside, it's the fact that it lasts 20, 30, 40. I mean, I have, I have DVDs from 97, 98 when DVDs yep. came out. I have a, a Crow DVD 
that I know I got maybe 99 or so that's a first generation still plays, still yeah. works. These things, they're not forever, and we don't know how long they'll exist, but through the plight you've already discussed, we can see where this gets lost in the cloud, the stream, it disappears digitally. Finally being able to represent the movie with a physical release that people can own. You don't think it changes the audience, but it, it really does, even if it does show up in a $5 bin at Walmart at this point. It's I still, I'm not the only person in the world that stops and yeah. goes through those. People are going to find it. Exactly. Uh, so uh, I, I think it was around 2018 or 2019. I don't know the full dates and all this, but uh, so Vipco, back to the Vipco part. Vipco was exactly what you said. They were big, um, you know, they, they, they did a lot of, released a lot of video nasties. They were a British label. And somehow, some way along the way, um, Bayview acquired the Vipco label and title in 2018 or 2019. So Vipco is officially part of Bayview. Um, and when Skin of Marink blew up in 2022, was it right? Yeah, in 2022, when Skin of Marink blew up, they it went from this movie that was made for a couple thousand dollars. Next thing you know, it had it was two, three, four million dollars in the theater. It was like Terrifier, huge. It just blew up. 2022 was a huge year for indie films, and it was great. It did a great thing. So Bayview, then they acquired a couple other companies here and there, and they expanded fairly not huge but they expanded they 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 took advantage of it and it seems like now there's a bunch of vipco movies that are coming out now and they were able to do this to kind of expand this as well um so i'm feeling like we are kind of we're um benefiting from the wave that skinnamarink created by happening to have signed with them at the same time you know it was good timing for the first time in in years of doing this we had some good timing with our release. Um, so, so yeah, so Theta is going to be coming out through their Vipco label. Now, what I said earlier, you, you mentioned Spookies on the Spookies release. There is the story of Vipco documentary. Yes. That's a on great documentary. Disc. Yes. Uh, so anybody who wants to know more about Vipco, watch the Spookies thing. I think they, uh, they are actually releasing that as its own uh, DVD or Blu-ray as well and that's gonna that that's the story of vipco documentary is going to um vod very soon you know but it's only been on that spookies release for what three four years now yeah it's not that old i mean maybe 2019 i think yeah about that so i think it was only available on that maybe they put it maybe they put it on something else but um so that so that'll be coming out. So clearly Vipco is doing well. And honestly, I, I, I think that a lot of it has to do with Skinnamarink just blowing up and making Bayview. Well, I mean, you, you, you know. noted that last year was a great 2022 was a great year for indie horror. And it, it was also a very decisive year. And it was something I mean, uh, I hate bringing up Twitter drama, but as Twitter burns and dies. But I couldn't help but notice that it's become. As as of the last 14, 15 years of my life, I've been a critic. I've found myself pushed away from the majority of other people that it's just especially places like Twitter. And with these independent films rising, it's it's overtly negative, even though if, it doesn't matter if you like the film or not as a critic. It becomes a battle of uh, almost personal hatred of people just going after you for not liking it. And it really exposed to me a lot of mentality when it comes to indie horror critics specifically last year of the amount of people that seem to go out of their way to just hate 
and be mm-hmm. uh, just just really not like things. And like I, I can personally say, I don't like the Terrifier series. I know I Alexander Nash doesn't either. But you know what we didn't do was spend two hours shit talking it. Uh, there was mm-hmm. no, there's no point. There's no reason we didn't care for Skinnamarink. That was a Patreon special we put out for everyone, but still. Uh, even in the same breath, like there was no hate on those episodes, and I, I find such an overwhelming display of negativity with indie releases from critics that are are screaming, you know, we need more independent films, we need more independent artists, but then shit on everything that comes out. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Theta States is handled, because I feel it's going to be interpreted as a new release to a lot of people, but this film has existed, as you've discussed, shot in 2015, the majority edited in 16, and then finally got that that fake, kind of not real 17 release. But from 17 to now, uh, the film, I think, holds up. I I was watching it last night, and it's remarkable. It's something I Mm. love with modern independent horror films. One of the things that really carries the movie is the lack of cell phone use. It can be an 80s movie at this point. It can hold as timeless. I think there's maybe one shot where someone's using a phone for its flashlight, and that's it. Yeah. You don't even really see what it is. And it was it really kicked me watching it of, you know, this is kind of perfect. It's a great release for, for this era and, and, and bringing up Terrifier, Skinnamarink. It holds on uh, – to me, it's almost a blumhouse feel. Like this is a, a movie that you could really see coming out from – Blumhouse in general. It's it's got the ghost elements, it's got the sci-fi elements, it's got everything that modern horror audiences crave recently, and it's really exciting that uh, like I'm pensive. I can't wait for it to come out because I think audience reactions I hope so. I certainly hope you're right. <laughs> I, I do too. I mean, knock on wood, but I really hope that because of the situations that involve this movie not being able to be seen, now that it can finally be seen. I don't know. I'm just this whole era seems like a great time for independent artists to really be shown and let their work shine. And Theta States is is completely produced. I mean, you look at something like Skinnamarink that we've been talking about. I can understand anyone having a hard time watching that film, but you have a narrative story with Theta States. So there is a leg up, I feel, especially Mm -hmm. for audiences that want to understand the movie. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, I, I hope they do. Um, so, you know, we'll find out, we'll find out soon. So now that we've had a, um, crash course in indie distribution. (laughs) So I guess this is the part of the episode where I tell the audience their least favorite thing, that this is a two part episode. Ha ha. It's true. What we've got here is a crash course in Theta States. Everything that you need to know about this movie. We've set up a lore, we've set up a legacy, and now on the next episode, we're actually going to talk about the movie, what it's about, who's in it, and the production. Thank you for listening to Death by DVD. Manny, thank you so much for being here and joining us. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Be sure to subscribe at deathbydvd.com for email updates on new episodes, merch discounts, all sorts of shit. And you can watch this episode exclusively on Patreon. Check us out. Go to deathbydvd.com and hit the Patreon page. That's all you need to know. Be pleasant. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience.
on the next episode of Death by DVD. Death by DVD does Theta States with writer-director Manny Serrano. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. from on top of the blue crystal sunshine mountain in any town USA with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. <laughs>